Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest is Julie Wainwright. If you don't know Julie, she is a veteran of the tech world and had a lot of interesting things to talk about. Also, to give a heads up, at one point we talk about Pets.com, which she was the CEO of. And for those who don't know, Pets.com was a uh, web 1.0 company that folded during the original dot-com boom. So hopefully that part will make more sense now. Currently, she is the founder and CEO of The Real Real, the addictive luxury consignment site. Also, we have a sponsor this week. Thank you to Audible.com for supporting Oh Boy. For a free 30-day trial, go to audible.com slash MR, as in Man Repeller. Uh, this is a great way to show your support for our show, just by signing up at audible.com slash MR for your free audiobook. Thanks, Audible. All right, let's get into it. are so shocking they're yeah. like garish colors yes. and it's like those are it's like no no we're just like more yeah I don't, it's almost like zen i mean we just have we just have like a more neutral palette that's great. yeah yeah that's great yeah i couldn't I, I, I mean if we were in office we'd be the celine store you know which is pretty stripped down you know that's yeah. i mean that's that's a good it's a timeless style right you know what i mean like um we just can't stand all that play play thing it's too much it's like let's have our meeting over in the hammock zone everybody get in your hammock yeah. <laughs> oh my god you guys are, i'm sorry if you have hammocks i mean i enjoy we have, hammocks we but... have no hammocks okay no and we don't have sleeping pods you don't either. Have... they kept saying do you want sleeping pods we're like no no we want people to sleep in their bed they in can... their house i mean engineers do sort of sleep you know mm. they just come in and sleep but that probably means they're doing another job at night right 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 <laughs> You know what's good? What's that? When you get to a certain age, you're mm-hmm. like, eh. I don't care. Eh. Nah, it doesn't matter. No. That's well, awesome. it sort of matters, but not that much. Well, you're not like walking out of the house in sweatpants and just being like. No. <laughs> no, not That's what that. I mean by not matter. That's, that's <laughs> not what I mean. But yeah, like I recently bought a cowboy hat <gasps> and I can't tell you how good I feel in it. I bought actually. I was on um, as soon as we got off the plane. Yeah. We went to the mission to go get some burritos because like I crave those burritos all damn day. <laughs> we went to uh, what is it? Uh, Taqueria Cancun. Right. Which is like that's my okay. favorite. And there was like a cowboy store across the street, and I was just like, I bought a cowboy hat. And I, I wonder went, what that's about. I don't know. It's just it felt so good, and I wore it around. I've been wearing it. You know, obviously you don't wear it indoors. It's not an indoor cowboy hat. Mm. It's like a fancy going out hat. So I think there might have been like some past life thing. That I think so. Esalen like lo- <laughs> unlocked a little. Yeah, that might have been <laughs> psychic true. thing going on. Um, so where did you grow up? I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. South Bend, Indiana, and what was it like there? Well, it's where Notre Dame is. Right. So it was sort of under the dome. That's what we say. <laughs> I grew up under the dome. Okay. And then um, we moved to Mishawaka, Indiana. Okay. Which is right a, next door. Oh, okay. So right not that different. Door. No, in fact, I think technically that's where Notre Dame is okay. in Mishawaka. Mm-hmm. And, but we moved, I went from a neighborhood with lots of kids mm-hmm. to out in the country. Oh, so like farmland? Farmland, like farmers what, what, everywhere. Why did your folks move out there? Um, 
probably a couple reasons. One is my dad started his own business when he was 28. So okay. when we moved, it was like 10 years later and business was good. So oh, okay. he wanted a bigger place and he wanted, he, he was always a guy who liked toys. So he okay. liked motorcycles and he liked go-karts. And, yeah. Um, so he wanted those. He wanted, he wanted toys. room to play with his toys. Well, but not him. He wanted all of us to oh. have motorcycles. And all so of you us had like have... a motorcycle at seven? Like, at, 12, yeah. at 12, yeah. Yeah. Motorcycle, yeah. Really? Yeah, we all did. Oh, that's so I'm amazing. the oldest of four. We all had oh, bikes. Cool. So the youngest ones were like four, and yeah. they just rode on the back. Can you imagine? That's amazing. I don't even think we wore helmets. I mean, you know, no. this is like, I can't believe my just... mom. But my mom had one. So we all had motorcycles. And we, he likes go kart. He liked go karts. We yeah. had two go karts because you have to race. You, of can't, have you can't have one. That's right. No fun. It's no fun. <laughs> and, um, and then he liked to play tennis, so he built a tennis court. So things went well. Things were going well in his business. Right. Um, but also, this is you know, during the time which is pretty heavy racial integration was going on. Okay. Um, and the schools were being forced to yeah. integrate, and it was after sort of the big race riots in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So it was a time where a lot of schools, my neighbor's kids were going to school. And my my neighbor's daughter came home with her fa- face slashed open. Oh, my God. And my parents were like, we want our kids to go to school and learn. So they got nervous. So I think they moved us out from an, a community that was more ethnically diverse to one that was like really, it was football players. Mm-hmm. I always say our football team had like farmers who were football players. Yeah, just corn fed. Yeah, they were out like, there. And yeah. then Notre Dame students, um, Notre Dame's parents' kids. Oh, okay. So we had like really smart kids. And then, and not that farmers weren't smart, no. but they just tend to be a little bigger. Mm-hmm. So we had like farmers and Notre Dame professors' kids in my oh. high school. Would you consider an ideal place to to grow up out there? Well, there, it was you know we were outside a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was sort of pretty. I mean, the area up there it's not far from Lake Michigan, mm-hmm. which is stunning. I know people think of Indiana as cornfields, but. We were very close to Lake Michigan. I used to take the train to Chicago. We weren't that far from Chicago. Oh, that's great. We'd just get on the uh, South Shore. And what were you? What were you doing when you were visiting Chicago? Um, I was always at the Art Institute, looking oh, okay. at the artists. So yeah. I would get in the train. A girlfriend of mine was studying the cello with somebody. She was sort of a child prodigy. So okay. she would go take her cello lessons. This is like when I was ten, when mm-hmm. you could like put your kids on a train did you ever try riding your motorcycle out to chicago no, <laughs> no they weren't street yeah. you know in fact they weren't street licensable we only had three that yeah. were and because we were like dirt bike riding yeah, yeah. um and when i did ride it and my girlfriend's father was an undertaker and he'd okay. be go those are my best customers oh, I'm, i know so it was a lot of pressure but you know we did things sort of we were sort of fearless that you wouldn't like, I would die if my kids, I don't have kids, but right. if I had kids, I would die no if way. they did this, yeah. right. Um, we used to jump kids. We played Evil Knievel, <laughs> built ramps and jumped But over. nobody got hurt. No one got hurt. No one got hurt. No. You know, just, did you ever see that documentary uh, on any Sunday? No. It's a dirt bike documentary. No. It was made by the guy who made The Endless Summer. You know that surfing right. documentary? Yep, yep. He made it around the same time. It's, it's if, if you want to be taken back to that time period, it's, it, you should check it out. It's great. I mean, we just had fun. Yeah. So when you look back, my dad's dad, mm-hmm. you know, so think back in the 20s, had a motorcycle. Right. So he sort of grew up doing little crazy Getting things. Getting extreme with it. 
A little bit. What was your dad's business that he was doing? He's an artist. He had an art, commercial art business. Oh, amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so art was a was around you growing up. Always. Yeah. The it, house was full of it. And um, he would, he employed a lot of artists in the studio, but they were doing package design promotion work. And then some of the people really wanted to be fine artists. So mm-hmm. he would put them to work for a while and then buy a painting. So we had paintings all over the walls from people that we knew, which was oh, wow. cool. That's awesome. So was that something that you were interested early on? What What do you remember? You know, how did you spend your time growing up? What do you remember doing? Uh, well, my mom and dad met at art school. Okay. So, and my dad started his business in our basement, mm-hmm. and he would go out and sell his own graphic abilities during the day, and at night he would do the work. So I remember. So we had lots of colored pencils and paint and. Mm-hmm. Um, they taught me the color wheel before I was in kindergarten. (laughs) So everything was sort of about art. And then my mom wanted to be a fashion illustrator. She dropped out of college to marry my dad, which women did then. Um, so we also had fashion illustrations everywhere. So I would say art was a big one. That's so cool. That's so awesome. So, so, you know, you kind of grew up with like knowing that like being an artist is, is an actual profession. It's not just like a, uh, like a pipe dream or something. I, I grew up thinking you could make money from art. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> which is not, I mean, you know, when you get older, you're like, whoa, that's an exception. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do when you were going to, you know, start thinking about leaving your hometown? I was, um, I was really, really good in math mm-hmm. also, and I love science, so I kept trying to figure out how I could mix art and math and science, okay. and I ended up going to Purdue, which is a pretty heavy-duty math engineering school, and I kept mm-hmm. taking art classes, um, and I had no idea. I started in organic chemistry because I wanted to be a pharmacist because I thought drug development is really, really creative, mm-hmm. so I didn't, I wanted to be actually developed, do development so where did that come from where did that idea how did oh you... there's probably a couple reasons one is i i always thought organic chemistry was cool mm-hmm. um so <laughs> the fact that but you're creating something yeah, right you're yeah. putting something with something to create something else but then also my mom was always sick so when you look mm-hmm. back at it she had multiple sclerosis and so you think of like as a kid you sort of held back because medicine wasn't and still isn't there's no cure i mean it wasn't working for her mm-hmm. so part of it's that part of it's putting together two multiple two things and creating something different so I love that but I couldn't imagine being in school that long so just like continuing to go 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 so here's what happened okay I um I was dating someone very seriously who was older than me he was getting his MBA and he could not do marketing things to save himself so I started doing his marketing homework for him I'm like oh this is fun (laughs) and then I switched my whole career into business so I changed my degree really yeah and went into business well it was so much fun yeah and it came easy and I loved it I'm like okay business that's creative that's cool (laughs) so I switched that's a great approach to have to you rarely hear people say business is fun and creative you know Andy Warhol said it yeah yeah that's awesome you know was there somebody whose like path you wanted to follow or people that you looked up to in terms of what you wanted to do so you know it was a different time so there weren't I I didn't know any women that worked Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting 
thing. Everybody was a mom, right? Except teachers. Was it a kind of thing where you go to college to like meet your husband and then? Well, I didn't, but, um, but was that like was that? Well, the yeah, kind of everyone the, uh, the every, tempo at that time. It sort of was, yeah. and, but I was sort of. All right, here's here's um, here's the because you always clarity is always better when you look backwards sometimes. Of but um, I remember really being influenced by Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. When I was, even though she's, well, I think, 20 years older than me, maybe 23 or 24, or she's getting up there now. Yeah. But I, she was old enough that when I was young, and she's so articulate and so attractive and had a sense of humor and didn't come across as strident, but yet I, everything she said I made sense to me. Right as a person. So when I was growing up, I would say she influenced me. And then people who I just met and I about died in front of her, uh, Jane Goodall, mm-hmm. do you know, she yeah. was out there being the big explorer. Yeah, and yeah. There were stories about her and I just met her. Oh really? Yeah. And I told her that and she's, she gave me a look, a sweet look, but it was one of those looks like where you go, I've heard this so many times, but anyway, that's okay. You need, if you tell, if you need to tell people, if you get the chance, you know, they need to hear it. Huge influence right. because she was someone doing something that I couldn't even imagine. Right. You know, she's off in Africa studying the animals and writing research papers. I just thought that was the coolest thing that ever. That's cool, yeah. Um, and then Gloria Steinem. And then so when I went off to college, I went off not interested in marrying for a long time. I went off to like use it as a foundation to do other cool things. Mm-hmm. And I sort of had this weird thing happen that every woman, every young woman I was in college with ended up getting engaged or married. And I was engaged during college. Okay. Yeah, it was sort of like I was going along with you're, it. You're doing the paint by numbers thing. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden I went, I can't, can't do it. I put a hard stop. I just thought my life would get smaller, not bigger. Mm-hmm. But most, and I was in the sorority, so most of the girls in the sorority were, um, who are great people, but most of them got married right out of college. Yeah. And I took off to California. You took, what, what led you out to California? I started working at Clorox in brand oh, okay. management. Right after school. Right. I told them I could do the job. Yeah, I sold myself hard. What, I did, said, you, what did you do over there? Brand, oh, I started a brand. Well, this is, they, they have a different structure now, but I started mm-hmm. as a brand assistant on Clorox Liquid Bleach. Mm-hmm. And then when I got promoted, I went out in the field and sold in Clorox products. Oh, so you were like a door-to-door salesperson? Well, no, you go and you call on the... (laughs) That would be funny. Hello, do you want some bleach? Hi, I'm just carrying around a large vat of bleach. (laughs) Can I serve you up some bleach? (laughs) No, you sell it into the large grocery stores. And then I... uh, (laughs) It's a little different. Yeah, I'm sorry. And then... and then I went back into corporate and uh, was doing new products when, so I was doing new product development, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. It was, it ended up being freshed up cat litter as the assistant brand manager. But during that time, a guy brought in his computer, mm-hmm. which was like not, there weren't computers. So what, you have like, to really you, think like, about is this. This is, this this is like in the 80s, 80s. Yeah. 80s. Yeah. And he brings in his computer and runs VisiCalc. And things that, which was the predecessor to Excel. Okay. So I'm like giving you a little history. No, no, I want it. I want it. And um, the work he did on that computer, it took him like an hour to set it up and then run it and run all the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, was, it used to take us a week to do the same amount of work. I'm like, oh my God, this is the future. Yeah. And coincidentally, I got a call from my boss, former boss's wife. Mm Mm-hmm 
who said, hey, I'm down here in Silicon Valley doing something cool. You should come down. This is, and I'm like, yeah, I want to come down. Yeah. So I moved down to join a small company called Software Publishing back in 83. Oh, wow. That's cool. So this is like very early days of like personal computing. So early. But just to go back for a sec, when you were when you were like when you were navigating through Clorox and stuff, what was the culture like? Did you were you coming up across any like obstacles? Were you oh, like this man. is this is, not, this is bullshit? Like I'm you know. Well, all right. Well, it was a long time ago, right. so I mean, I I know it's not reflecting Clorox. No, I don't know that for a fact, but I would right. assume it's you know. But there were no uh, any laws to protect protect anyone against any kind of harassment mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. and no harassment training um it wasn't unusual for there were a lot of people in brand management that were women mm-hmm. but everyone above them were men right and it wasn't unusual for the men to say things in a big meeting like to to an employee oh to a woman oh you're pregnant i'm not going to listen to what you're saying anyway because you're not going to be back next year oh my god um, there was a lot of harassment. It was it was a little grim, and yeah. I, and it was you know it was a different time. But for me personally, not that different in some ways, you know. Unfortunately, no. Know. But um, for me, I didn't see anyone above me that I wanted to be. Right. And so when I had an opportunity to join an industry that looked like it was going to really change the world, because mm-hmm. every time a woman got promoted, that in brand management instead of going up into general management they went to hr Mm. and i'm like "Mm, this isn't cool right so i moved but it was i would say that yeah it was a different time it was a little and when we get together and tell the stories because this they bring you in into the class and you're working like, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. And so it's intense and you really bond. Mm-hmm. And the women all have the same story. And the guys that started with us can't even believe that that was happening. They don't even, they didn't have any idea. Right. But, the you know, it's a different time. Well, yeah, I mean, well, what do you remember from those early days working in Silicon Valley? Because I, I refuse to see the Steve Jobs movie. Like, to me, the only movie that I want to watch in that time period is the Pirates of the Silicon Valley, the Noah Wiley, um, what is it, um, Anthony Michael Hall, Steve Jobs, oh, so Bill funny. Gates movie. Do you remember that? It was like a made-for-TV movie. I do, I do. I refuse to watch anything else. That's the only one I'm going to watch. But Oh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I... Didn't know Steve. I'd met him a couple times. A couple, one of my friends dated him okay. regularly, and another friend of mine dated Bill Gates. So, so um, it was a small community, relatively. Well, it was a small group of people doing right. really cool things. Right. So I would say that you know they really did feel like pirates and <laughs> pioneers, and they saw and you know these are people that may not have been cool before, and right. they felt like they were or found something they thought was cool, and they were really doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. So um, it was exciting. And it really was more a meritocracy than it is even now. It really was what you did. Mm -hmm. And you were doing really cool stuff. Um, And I would say we were all so young that we didn't realize that we couldn't do it. Right. You know, I moved, I ended (laughs) up moving to London in 84 for software publishing to set up their first international office. I was there for three years. 
And I was like a baby. And I'm over there. Oh, yeah. I was flying all over the world like doing meetings, deals. Like oh, no. I was, oh, oh, more than that. Yeah. I was just saying what country is going to go in, who we're going to work with. I was flying all over the world, based out of London. And it was great. Yeah, but what it, was going through your head during that time? This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, I mean, the company was fun. Yeah. Um, it wasn't lost in me that I got an opportunity to travel all around the world on a regular basis and meet people that were amazing doing cool things. And they were always surprised when like a little blonde woman would show, you know, pretty much it was in my 20s. So yeah. this like 20 year old would show up woman because they weren't dealing with women. And I just like, yeah, I had that. It was fun. So while you were doing that, was there something that you, did you get to a point where you're like, I want to do, did you have an idea of like what you wanted to do? Or are you kind of just, um, you know, taking what was in front of you and just doing the best job you could do with that? More that. Yeah. Because there was so much opportunity to just keep growing and mm -hmm. learning. And I just kept thinking this is... The, it was so much fun and stuff we were doing things. Software Publishing was the first company to introduce a graphics program. Oh, okay. So they are the predecessor to Microsoft PowerPoint, mm -hmm. and they did Harvard Graphics. So it really was the beginning of that whole product line, introducing that, getting people to change the way they work. I mean, it was so much fun. That's so cool. And the people, there were a lot of women yep. and in pretty high places at software publishing. And it was just, you know, it's just what it was. Right. There was just half the, half the executives were women, half were men. No one thought about discrimination or what you couldn't do. It was mm -hmm. all like, we're on a really cool place building something. And then the company changed and it brought in a lot of uh, execs from IBM and it got really more political, and that's when I left. So that, that kind of changed the climate. Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. But that's okay. I mean, you know, it, that, it, it took eight Yeah, I was there eight years, so it was yeah. a long ride. So when you got out, or when you when that kind of happened, where were you looking to go next? Well, I was pulled off by a, um, I went to a company that was a spinoff of software publishing and did it all again. Okay. And then, uh, as but then I was VP of sales and marketing and then moved overseas again for three years. Where were you living then? London. Oh, London again. So moved back to the old, you know, it was fun. That wasn't as much fun because um, when... 84 to 87, my first stint, London was crazy, booming. Mm. 90 to 93, not so. It was a little depressed. Oh, okay. A little harder. Everything was harder. Yeah. But, you know, it was fun. Just wanted to take a break and say thank you to Audible.com, the leading provider of audiobooks with more than 180,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. There's a book you want, it's probably on audible.com. Audiobooks are a great way to get reading back into your daily life. You can listen while traveling, running errands, forcing yourself to go to the gym, or to avoid falling asleep on your train ride home from work. And they come with Audible's great listen guarantee. If you don't like a purchase, you can exchange it at any time, no questions asked. My recommendation this week is Carsick, written by one of my personal heroes, John Waters. It's a document about his hitchhiking trip across America that he took a few years ago. It's a perfect mix of fantasy and reality. And on top of that, it's read by the man himself, which is just about as good as it gets. Right now, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial for Oh Boy listeners. Just go to audible.com MR and browse over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It, it's that easy, and it's a great way to support the show. 
Get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash MR. That's audible.com slash MR. Okay, back to the show. Do you look back on that time fondly? What you say? I would say it was life-changing. I also got married oh, okay. um, the second time I was over there. It was life-changing. Mm-hmm. It was great. Well, I mean, it was great. It was, you know, think of it. it was sort of heady when I would stop and think about because I'm jetting all over the world doing deals. Um, I was good at it. Mm-hmm. It helped me um, set really hard priorities because I had to chart my own. You know, it was like running your own business, so it gave me a lot of tools for running my own business because I had to make hard choices and make the right choices to grow mm-hmm. the business. Um, it was, I met amazing people, some who are really great friends. That's I was, great. I call, I have like another family over in London. Oh, that's cool. So the marriage didn't last, but you know, it was, you know, it had many big, it was big. It's, yeah. It's cool. That's all. No, it is cool. So, you know, so I guess, so we're getting to it's in the timeline, the part where this is like maybe early startup days with the internet now. So I it I in my head the when I first really remember it was going to be a force was around ninety seven okay and I was at Berkeley Systems as CEO then oh wow and Berkeley Systems at that time was a gaming company but they started with screensavers oh like um what was flying toaster the flying toaster that was yes. us that was, <laughs> that was you guys us. that was us. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, like, do you, I remember being a kid in the mall. I remember they used to have, like, the computer stores. There was, like, Babbage's. Right. And, oh, uh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Egghead. <laughs> remember? remember? You, yeah. Yes, Egghead. Yeah. And, like, you would, you would, like, a, you would buy a screensaver in a box. Right. Isn't know? that wild? <laughs> so amazing. Those flying toasters. Yeah, flying toasters. What was that called? They were, they were called, um, I don't remember. Well, it was from that. Berkeley System. Yeah. So I took them from flying toasters to games. Yeah. And we did You Don't Know Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you the, remember the bald, that? The yeah, bald the bald guy, guy right? yeah. Yeah, 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 a lot of, yeah, a lot of landscape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to put the name You Don't Know Jack on his head, so we we actually casted for someone with a huge forehead. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's, so there's a guy who yeah. the You Don't Know, I'm the You Don't Know Jack guy. Exactly. He's like sitting in a bar right now telling somebody that. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> if people remember, yeah. Yeah, of course. That's cool. So. And then we did You Don't Know Jack Online. Okay. In 97. So this was like maybe was it like early online gaming? Early, yeah. really early too. But it, you know it was voice activated, so voice always travels well over the internet. Mm-hmm. And it was it, so it had low, it could work under low bandwidth. So if you had dial up, you could still play. Dial oh, up. dial up! Yeah. I know. I remember just getting so mad at my folks for like picking up the phone and by accident and then kicking your- you off the internet. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh man! So Dialing this is- into America Online. Do you remember that? Of course I do. Oh, yeah. So so yeah, we had dial up yeah. anyway. Um, and then after you don't know Jack, um, and that was a huge success. The founder wanted to sell the company, and he basically sold it over the weekend. Wow. And I was sort of out of a job. And then you're just like, okay. And so then I did Real.com as CEO, and that was the first site to sell videos online. Oh, amazing. And. It, we were doing really, really well. And then uh, Blockbuster, this is really good. Some of your listeners may not even know what that is. There were, videos used to be sold in a store and rented. I, look, I grew up in a video <laughs> rental store. Like, it hurts my heart so much that they're so far and few between. 
They're sort of gone. They're sort of gone. But like to me, it was like the same kind of experience that you have in a record store, right? Where there's the guy that you go to and he's like, oh, there's this came out this week. Or have you ever heard of this person? Or it's like, you know, I I miss having those kinds of um, gatekeepers or people that could kind of... um, Could really guide you to some interesting movies. Yeah. And and no one's done it that well online. So real was... um, was trying was actually trying to do that and we had hand curated almost like a pandora movies it was started by a guy named um, Stuart scorman and he used to own a change of video stores so he's like i want to recreate that i want to introduce people to really cool movies Mm -hmm. so um i was brought in to be the ceo and after we got it up Gosh, about 40 million, 45 million in sales in two years. Wow. Well, what was that? Exp- that was, the fir- was that the first time you were a CEO? No, of a I was oh. at Berkeley Systems. Oh, okay. Berkeley Systems was, here's here's how that happened. So I came in as a VP, I'm taking you back now to Please. Berkeley Systems, yeah. as VP of sales and marketing. And um, I did a quick analysis for the board. I go, mm, I think this company's going out of business in about six months unless we have a radical right-sizing layoff of the team and we refocus them on something they can win in because they'd gone in all these different product areas and they said so I wrote a plan and I did a whole analysis I said look we could if we do this we've got about a year to reinvent ourselves but we have to lay it and it was sort of a one of those things you walk into a job I just moved back from London and this was my you know, my first... You walked in and you're like, this is everything that's wrong. It's everything you is guys, a mess. And, and they said, okay... You guys are messing it up. They go, okay, you fix it. You're president. Yeah. And then... <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And then... <laughs> and I fixed but it, luckily. Did. And then, yeah, I, then yeah. I was CEO. Yeah. Um, but the founders still own the shares. Mm-hmm. So then I... Then after that, I moved to Real.com oh. as CEO. Same scenario? Did you come in and, and just Well, be like, you know, startups are messy. I know. And they're always messy. Yeah. And... Founders are always crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, I had another, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm putting myself in that boat now because I'm a founder. Right. Yeah. But um, at that time, I wasn't. So I wouldn't, yeah, I had to clean it up mm-hmm. and hire people and fire people. And and Stuart's brilliant, but a little crazy. He would even say he's a little crazy, but he is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I thought the vision was awesome. Um, but, uh, to, I mean, Blockbuster and... Hollywood video, this is really tapping. So yeah. both were like chasing the company to buy it, to kill it, because they were worried about their business. So they, so Hollywood bought it for over a hundred million, then shut it, basically shut it down. And just then I like, had- Just to just like make sure there was no competition. competition which is like crazy, yeah. because as if that would stop, con- it, you know. Well, that's the what? only that's the only website that's going to do that. We're all good yeah, here. Technology's yeah. never going to move forward. <laughs> right. And so, six months later, I had a meeting with Reed Hastings, mm-hmm. and he said, "How long, Netflix?" Yes. And he goes, "How long do I have, Julie, before they come after?" I go, "Oh, eight to ten years, or never, because yeah. they didn't get it." Oh, that's so cool. So that was that, and then I was recruited to run Pets. dot com, mm-hmm. which you know was like everything. Pets. Everything, everything the, great, uh, everything bad. Michael Ian Black sock puppet. I can't believe you knew it was Michael. Oh yeah, hell yeah! I watched the the state was my favorite show growing up as a kid. The state, their comedy right, show yeah, on yeah, MTV. Yeah. I loved it. But no one knew it was my. He doesn't even I, put it on his resume I knew, anymore. I knew it was Michael Ian Black. So funny. Yeah. So funny. So so funny. They're the. Did you ever see like um. Like their group was him, Michael Showalter, and David Wayne. They were called Stella. I did. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, so, you know, most of what the puppet said was unscripted. Yeah. As long as he said a couple things that were on strategy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was it really was like his alter ego coming out. Do you think the thing with that was that people weren't ready to... It was early. It was early. And the capital markets were right. struggling. So we ran, um, we just ran out of runway. So hmm. I shut the company down and gave money back to shareholders. But the company was really wonderful. Um, the financing opportunity for anyone then was not. And the press that followed was just a nightmare for me. It Is was it a nightmare. You, yeah, I mean, do you think it was because... Because I remember you guys had that Super Bowl ad, right? We did. Yeah, it was great. Because I also remember they used to sell the Pets.com... Puppet. Puppet in the stores and stuff. Right? Yeah. That was awesome. I guess the thing is like, you know, I also remember... I mean, because the funny thing is now I pretty much buy everything on Amazon. Of you course. know, like I don't and even Amazon go to the was, store down the street. Yeah. I don't have time. Yeah, I'm the same way. And you by know? the way, Amazon was our single biggest investor. Yeah. In pets. There was a lot of cool sites, though, I think, back then that like people weren't really ready for. I remember there was this other site called Cosmo.com. Oh, Do you I remember, remember that? Cosmo, sure. Where there was like at any time of the day, you could get any movie you wanted. Right. And like they yeah. had their little drop boxes throughout yep. the cities. It was in San Francisco. And I think it was in New York. Right. But I think it was just like it was just too early for too early. people to get on board with it. Well, right. And, you know, you know also the markets were fluctuating. But I guess if, that's, that's, that's what I mean. I don't mean, you know, like I don't think people we're ready to fully digest that concept, maybe. I don't know. Well, if you just go, like, how many people were online worldwide then? Right. Only 200 million. Mm -hmm. Now there's, I think the last number is 1.7 billion. Yeah. So it was, and it was hard, because you had to, like, build everything and then put your site on it. Right. There was no infrastructure, and routers cost, like, 50K, <laughs> and you're like, how many routers do we need? Yeah, it was hard. I, sometimes I look back at like, you know, hard drives that I bought for like hundreds and hundreds of dollars and now that are now just, like $50. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's this big. You could just plug it, it in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, you know, it was it was early. It was, yeah. at, you know, but if we could have made it through, it would have been big. Was there ever a time where you felt lost during that ordeal? Uh, not during it, but after it was hard. Mm -hmm. Because um, I also divorced during it. So okay. it was like, oh, no. <laughs> there goes Just my life. Well, it, it, was, it was bad. And then the press was sort of at my door for about six months after. Literally at my front door. Why do you think that they, you know, glommed onto, onto you guys? Well, we had a brand. Most yeah. people didn't create a brand. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say mostly because the brand and, and I was also the first one. I didn't run it to bankruptcy, so I was the first company. To, I shut the company down and gave money back to shareholders. Right. I think if we would have just run it to bankruptcy and sort of quietly disappeared, it would have been a footnote right. instead of, oh. So by trying to do trying to do the right thing in your mind. And uh, then you it get created way too much attention, yeah. yeah. But, you know, anyway. But, yeah, it was, it was intense. I would say that was like a pivotal time in my life where things were bleak yeah it was well, bleak. so what did, what did you do how did you come out of that um well I was that when you went to Greece to do the no I okay. did that before I got married okay. my mind body spirit yeah, workshop yeah. no I did that before I got married no that's just like you know that just made sense at the time take mm -hmm. I like taking classes anyway and yeah they're why great. not work with some old hippies hell yeah well, hippies and psychologists were sort of together in that, and artists. Yeah. So we had art shop. Anyway, um, no, it was hard. I mean, I, it's sort of like, it. you know, I felt like my world was collapsing, but 
I didn't stop moving. Mm -hmm. And so, and I mean that both like, you know, like I, I worked out every day. I was always trying new things and, but it was harder when I look back that I probably realized when I was in it, Mm -hmm. but I never doubted I would come out of it. Do you think you needed to have that perspective a little bit to get out of it though? A little bit where you're kind of not letting the full the full reality sink in, maybe? Or, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think if I wouldn't have thought, oh, okay, well, you know, this is like, you know, it's grim. Right. And it's always going to be grim. I think I'd be still there. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, you know, I mean, it was hard because I'd have strangers come up in the street and yell at me. What? Yeah. Like, oh, you're the Pets.com person. <laughs> oh, I'm no. like, oh, man. <laughs> and then, like, people who wanted to meet me, like, I was the freak, you know, or something. I'm like, come on. It was too much. Yeah. It was too much. So yeah. here's the good news, though. When you, like, now that I'm out of it, mm-hmm. I can talk about the good news. When you have something that's sort of that big and it doesn't do well, then it sort of frees you up from uh, to take more risks because mm. you're like, oh, because I didn't even think about taking a risk before. I'm like, that's just what I do, right? right? I never thought moving into the industry was risky. It just seemed like the smart thing to do, and that's the way the world was, and joining startups didn't feel risky. And so, but when you have something that is that big of a sort of public failure and people put your face next to that failure, you're like, all right, well, I got through it. Didn't yeah. kill me. Right. So if this doesn't work, I'll be fine. Oh yeah. So that's the good news. But when you're in it, it doesn't. No. It's bad. No. Yeah. You don't. You don't really get perspective when you're in it. No. I, I'll tell you what you do know. You know the people that like loved you and then f- faded away. You do know the, You do take note of those people. I'm of like, course. huh? Mm-hmm. Where are those people? Uh-huh. I'm not cool anymore. It's <laughs> over. So well, you don't want those people around anyway. No, but it's hard to tell when things are going well. When things are going well, everybody loves you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but my closest friends stayed with me. That's great. Right. So so how did the idea, you know, for the real real come about? So I was shopping with a girlfriend mm-hmm. who um, in a great little store that had a little bit of consignment in the back and that's where she spent her money and I said and I've never I said wow I've never seen you buy consignment and she goes Julie I, I bought Chanel I bought Prada I bought Louis Vuitton I'm like okay and she goes and I, everybody loves a deal Mm-hmm. And so then I started saying, have you ever bought anything on eBay? She goes, no, I don't, you know, I don't trust it. It's too weird. I don't want to deal with it. I go, have you ever walked into a consignment store? She goes, no, as if it was like horrible. She goes, no, of course not. I'm like, but you just bought consignment. She right. goes, I don't look at it that way. And oh, it because was like, of like the location. It was right? a, in a beautiful store, right. beautifully merchandised. She knew, she trusted the owner and I thought, wonder if I could do that online. I wonder because if I if I kept the integrity of the brand mm-hmm. and created this beautiful p- world for people to shop in, I probably would break that wall down too. And then it comes down to how big is the market? Can I get product on a regular basis? How far can I, you know, how many other lines? So then I tried to consign. So then I tried to consign on eBay. It was hard. Um, brick and mortar stores, I just, you had to bug people to get your money and yeah. you weren't quite sure. And then if you wanted your stuff back, it wasn't cool. So, and you had to chase the owner all mm-hmm. the time. So that wasn't working. And then I tried to sell jewelry through Circa. I don't know that. Oh, it's a, it's more, I think 
technically they're a pawn shop, but they're a okay. pawn shop that's national. Okay. It's sort of a high-end pawn shop. That's but, cool. But I like that concept. <laughs> they'll just get, write you a check on the spot. You're right. And that was, um, I just thought we could do it. I thought we could do everything better, and it's a huge market. And so I did all of that in a short time. So I saw that behavior like in November, December in 2010. And by 2011, in June, we were selling our first thing. So, yeah, so how did you, I mean, like how, just can you run me through like the, the, I know this might sound boring, but I guess I'm just, you know, we always hear like the idea, like I had this idea and then I did it, but like, how did you actually do it? You know, <laughs> well, like how right. did you get, right, you know, so, did you so get like a pool of people at first to sign up or? No, no, like, no, no. It... No, I mean, so the first thing was um, I was really clear on what problem I was solving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I have to build a company that has high quality products coming in regularly. So what does that mean? How do I do that? Right. Because at the end of the day, if I could always get people to sign up, but if I don't have the products, it won't matter. So I put together a business plan and really ran the numbers to say, okay, because I knew I needed a sales team mm-hmm. to actually go to people's house and clean out their closets and talk to them about pricing. And right. so that's the first thing I did for it. What's the most important? How expensive will it be? When do we need to do it? Right. And then, um, so I wrote the plan, figured out the most important thing, put almost told, and then I started going out and getting investors. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, I've got to do this little business and raised a half a million dollars. I'm like, okay, I'm done now. It'll launch on this date. Um, and then I made the best hire I could have made, my first hire. Okay. Her name is Rati Levesque. And she's our chief merchant, and she's, you know, she had her own store. She shut her brick-and-mortar store down. Oh, wow. And so she and I together started building the company. And in her mind, if you ask her, we worked for six weeks out of my house. In her mind, it was six months. But that's because we were working really long hours. Well, what's the, th- what's the thing that drew you to the concept initially to do it? I mean, I know that you know you saw that there was an opportunity here. But was there something beyond that that made you want to you know, explore oh, wow. this? I mean, first of all, I'm a... I'm around beautiful things all day long right. that have a long life. Mm-hmm. And they just, and I've always felt, I know this will sound a little weird, but whenever I had something beautiful that I bought, and let's say I was over it or it didn't fit me anymore, and I gave it to either someone I knew or Goodwill, I always felt sad for the product. I thought, oh, it doesn't need to, it shouldn't be in that environment. Right. It should be in a pretty place. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but no, it's just, no, no. you know, when you buy into the romance of the brand, of or it really is the artistry of, of whatever it is, something mm-hmm. that you hold to, that's beautiful, that you have a respect for, you don't want to see it in a bad place you want to see it sort of exalted even in its second life so there was i always felt sort of sad about that i love beautiful things i love a deal yeah and it just made sense and it's it really is a fun fun business so you know we started with women's fashion added men's went to fine jewelry we do art and home now was there was there a moment where it started to feel real yeah. Do you Soon, remember that moment? Oh, oh gosh. It was the first time we had our sale. Yeah. Your the first sale? First or, sale. Yeah. The first. And then we got a little worried. So because <laughs> we're like, oh, no, more product. Yeah. Uh, we need more product. So we had it all mapped out how many. We could only run a sale every other day. 
because we, we were afraid we wouldn't have new sales, mm-hmm. enough product to keep going because right. I was still raising money, building up the sales force. And the first day we sold $30,000 worth of product. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> we're, we got to shut the doors. We have to get more product. <laughs> so um, That's amazing. So I knew it was going to catch on. And then, and then this other panic hit. It's like, okay, wait, because I have this theory, and, I, and I'm pretty right. If you have a good idea, chances are everybody else has the same idea. I, I, I know exactly what you mean. And it's yeah. like there's something out there that yeah. you just channeled down. Uh-huh. You're all, and then it, it's like then you better run really, really fast <laughs> and execute smarter. Yeah. Because someone else will get it and do it better than you if you don't do it. Yeah. But I, oh, I do think things in the air occasionally. You know, I've heard it from friends of mine that are songwriters, and they'll go, "No, I just channel this." Yeah, I'm like, right. "Really, uh-huh. really?" But I do think there's something that we all tap into occasionally, which means that there is no u- unique idea and of course things are being reinvented all the time and then you just have to execute so as we're trying to get more product in i'm like i gotta start raising serious money now mm-hmm. because if someone else has more capital right. and they execute faster we're gonna be dead we have this like nice concept that someone would have copied yeah and all these other companies started springing up and getting financing and i it really did i'm like I went into a little panic mode, and um, but but the difference was they all uh, went a technology route. Like I've got a better platform, and I'm like, no, it's all about the product. So right. I went all the cap. I kept going out to investors. No, 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 we have to have great product and good technology. But then the people will come for the product, exactly, and we'll build off of that. And ultimately, that was the right strategy. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Um, what was what was the experience like for you creating something from the ground up as opposed to like oh, coming into companies? I have so much more respect. <laughs> I, I have to say now, which I mean won't happen, but if I would now go in and be the, the CEO brought in, I would be so much nicer to the founders <laughs> and so much more understanding. Did you have to make any calls and be like, hey, I'm so sorry I gave you a rough time all those years I ago. Should. Yeah. I should. I <laughs> should. Um, no, I think I've been too busy. But yeah. <laughs> if anyone hears this, I'm really sorry if I was a badass. That counts. You're sort of, you're sort of, <laughs> you're sort of brought in to be a badass. Well, I mean, course. if things are going well, the founder keeps their job yeah, right yeah, so yeah. you're sort of brought in to be yeah. a badass but no i have a whole new respect i think starting a company is so hard and so many things can go wrong and um and it's so gratifying both it's mm-hmm. but it's you know things things go wrong do you get inspired by you know th- other things you see around you happening in the startup world now do things excite you? or? Oh, well, things excite me every day. I would say that, um, I mean, I think I get m- even more excited about any creativity mm-hmm. I see. So I would say I get as excited by seeing a piece of art or a new way of looking at something as I do a startup because right. startups may or may not be fully formed mm-hmm. and it takes them a while so I can feel their pain. But um, in, I always, and I'm sure it's my back, my upbringing, I always take my inspiration from pure creativity. Like if a if a new play is being born. So I did a lot of, I sat on some non-for-profit boards for a while, but they were always about new theater or um, new art. Mm -hmm. And so it's just that process of creating is really cool. Yeah. Because, you know, it's always a a process. I mean, you know, things things aren't just born fully formed. 
You have to keep working that. You do. You really do. Uh, what are the challenges that you've been facing with this company? Uh, right. You know, we, gosh, right. It really comes down to continuing to scale the company in a way that's we keep doubling. And mm-hmm. this year we're going to double. We're going to be under half a billion dollars, oh, but wow. barely. Uh, so making sure we're hiring great people that have the same sense of integrity and respect and and work ethics and you know to right. keep it's really about continuing to scale the company and build it with great people is the biggest challenge at the beginning it was convincing um, investors that my because there were a bunch of companies all getting funded at the same time mm-hmm. that my idea was superior um, and now that's not hard to prove because we're so far ahead of, right. of them but now it's a different set of challenges. But it's gotten easier. Mm-hmm. For me, it's gotten easier. Yeah. Well, how do, you, how do you keep that train running? Like what makes you just keep keep going? Oh, my gosh. It's the people yeah. and the people I work with. They're so innovative and so smart. And it's such a good group of people. Mm-hmm. And it's fun and yeah. funny. I mean, I have to say there's a the, we're a little kooky, a little, mm-hmm. little dark humor. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, um, Rati is just always inspires me from day one. She's like so cool and everything. And she just she's one of those young talents that has so much capacity. But the whole company's full of people like that that are just you know they're out there, they're doing cool things, and and I haven't seen them hit their limits yet. They oh, just keep exciting. yeah. So it's for me, it's fun to come to work. That's really cool. How much do you think your initial ideas and goals changed from when you started to where you are now? No, it never did. It never did. No. But, it would, no, we, you know, they called a pivot yeah. in the Valley. No, we did not pivot. I, I only know terms from Silicon Valley, so from the TV show Silicon Valley. Oh, so did. I know the term pivot. <laughs> Usually pivot means you failed. <laughs> yeah. No, we didn't have to pivot. Yeah. No pivots. That's cool. We're just running hard. No, because you know what? This is the other beauty about all the experience I've had. I sort of had a very clear plan. It was all based on what I believed to be really true. Mm -hmm. And so um, once I knew I was right, then you just run hard. Yeah. You know, you test your way in and take some small bets. And then once you know you're right, you just go full steam ahead. That's awesome. What, uh, and just like overall looking at, you know, your entire career, you know, what's something that you, you wished you would have known when you something that you know now that you oh, wish you would have known when you started you know there's so many things so when i was starting my career i really felt like i had to learn everybody's job and i never felt um, experienced enough to mm. start my own company i always felt like no i still have to learn this and i still have right. to learn that and i wish i would have known that i could have started my company earlier cuz to start it um and cuz i i could have and that's the cool thing about people now mm-hmm. that there was, you know, they just don't have the same framework. They assume they'll figure it out along the way. And I would have, that's my personality type, but I always had this fear like, well, maybe you better learn this person's job and, right. you know, maybe you better take it. So I took my whole career stepwise and I wish I would, if I could go back, especially after I moved back from London the first time, I had so many good business ideas, which turned out some of them would have worked, some of them wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish I would have just like pushed myself to just take the leap 
and I didn't. So mm. that's the big thing. Mm. It's like you probably have, if you have some basic characteristics, you're probably more of an entrepreneur than you know, and don't let fear stop you. Mm. And it did stop me for a while. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the, your honesty. That's good advice. I think that's really good advice. Well, I, I think people, you know, if you, it, look, if you're inquisitive, you're hardworking, you're tenacious, and you're resilient, and you're smart, mm -hmm. and you don't have to be that smart, but you have to be sort of smart, and you have to want to get smarter, yeah, you're probably pretty good. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, what makes all of it worth it? I, I just think, I mean, honestly, um, it's everything about it. The It really is the people, the products we deal with, the people I meet, the mm -hmm. consigners are wonderful. Um, the other thing that's, this is really weird. This is something I didn't expect. So technology's male, right? Mm -hmm. And the real real is basically serving females. Right. So I find myself not just, half, more than half our employees are female, but it's not even inside when I'm out meeting with women or speaking to women's group. I have this whole new camaraderie with women who I didn't work with normally during the day and they're just and it's it's like I've met all these amazing amazing women through the real real who mm -hmm. either consign or at least are interested in what we're doing and that's been like a big plus that I didn't couldn't have anticipated and you know it's and we're having a dinner tonight with some of our consigners. And it's just like, wow, these people are awesome. That's so cool. Which, you know, normal work life, you wouldn't have met necessarily. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't have met them anyway. It's all that it seems like that all these meaningful connections have come from, from running and creating the business. Oh, absolutely. Which I think happens anyway. Mm -hmm. But uh, um, uh, it's, and it's always been as a CEO. But again, this is, there's so many of our customers are female. It's got a different, tune than maybe um, pets.com did or real.com or even Berkeley systems. They were much more male mm -hmm. focused in many ways. And this is just different and it's cool. It's a cool thing. It, you know, it's a cool thing. That's awesome. So you mentioned that you want, you're going to be expanding to art and furniture, you know, what, what's next? Where do you see it going? So that's, we have a long way to go on every yeah. category, <laughs> but um, we're doing a really cool thing this year. We're going to open valuation offices across the U.S. Oh, wow. Where you can actually bring in your fine jewelry and watches and meet with a gemologist or a watch expert, and they'll just give you a quote. There's no pressure to consign. Yeah. Um, and it's probably a quote that's good for insurance also, but we hire all GIA certified mm -hmm. gemologists. So we're opening offices in LA next and then Chicago and we've already got one here in Manhattan and Midtown so cool. we're just going to keep opening those which will give take away some friction and hopefully some fear because people get weirded out about giving their jewelry or even wanting to know what it's worth right and some of it's worth a lot and some of it's like oh, oh, sorry yeah. you know some of it's <laughs> 10 cents on the dollar but right. um that that um we found that to work really well in Midtown where people just make an appointment if they're thinking about selling something and then they want to sell it, they can do their homework, but they're going to make two to five times more if they sell it with us. That's great. Yeah. Cool. So that's next. That's next. And then we, we're going to go overseas at some point. We're just not you're, there. You're, just, you're not done with London. You need to get back there. Oh, I'm going next in okay. a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm not done with, you know, I think it's like <laughs> got a spiritual thing. Yeah. The okay. first time I got off the plane in London, I felt instantly at home. Really? 
Must be some genetic thing or something. Gotta be. Well, uh, I think that's a great place to end it. Julie Wainwright, thank you so much. Thank you, Jay. Awesome.